Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. So uh, when my daughter was three, and we had, so we only had two kids at the time. My daughter was three. My son was a year old, um, maybe a little bit more. My wife was going to Publix with my daughter. I was watching uh, my boy for nap time, I believe it was. So he went to Publix, and I get a call, like a frantic call from my wife, like something's wrong, but I don't know if she got interrupted. So she just, like, it's frantic, and then she's not there. So I'm like, what's going on? Then I get a call back from, like, somebody who worked the counter at Publix, and she's like, your daughter's hurt. Um, I was just supposed to call you, like, you need to come. And I was like, well, what, what's going on? It's bad. Just get here. <laughs> Click. I was like, okay. Um, apparently not you know, uh, trained in crisis management. So I had no idea, um, which I wouldn't expect, but I had no idea what was going on. I'm like, are you serious? And like, how do you get that badly hurt at Publix? Number one, I had no idea what was going on, but I was frantic. So if you've ever had that call, like with a kid and you don't know what's going on, I mean, it's terrifying. So um, I wait for my parents, um, which was agonizing. I can't get a hold of Nicole. They come over to watch Ryder. I get in the car. I get there as quick as possible. I start to pull into the Publix parking lot and you just If you don't know my wife, like one of the things about her, it doesn't matter what's happening in our life, is she is going to go big no matter what it is. Like it's gonna be the biggest thing you've ever seen. So I pull in, I swear to you, it felt like every EMT um, in the greater Brandon, Valrico, Tampa area, every fire truck, it was at Publix. And I'm like, what, is she even alive? Like what is going on? And so I was like, no joke though, terrified. So I run in as quick as I can. The, all of them there are huddled. It had not actually been that long. And there's, you know, it's 11 a.m. still morning, but there's blood everywhere, blood gushing from her head. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Um, so it's a whole scene, but like she's alive. So I don't know why there's 900 trucks out front, but she's alive. I rush to her and they want to take her um, in an ambulance because I'm not sure how deep the cut is. And so, you know, immediately as a dad, I'm trying to grab her figure out what's going on, like how deep is it, how bad is it? And then they reach for her to take her and get her into the ambulance. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hang on for a second. Like, and many of you know where this is going, right? Like you just, you can't just grab my kid and take her. Like I, I need to get some, some questions answered first. This is the obvious stuff. And so like I kind of pull her away. I'm like, hey, before you take my kid, I just got to know. And, I mean, you know what I'm going to ask. Are you a Republican or are you a Democrat? <laughs> I'm not just giving my kid to anybody. Like I, now, if you know me, you know I could not care less. But the point that I'm trying to make is when, when you're in an emergency, you just want competency. Um, and one of the things in terms of our cultural moment and where we live in 2023, it kind of feels like at times everything is an emergency. 
Everything is out of control. It feels like everything is on fire a little bit at times from, I mean, nature and natural disasters to division and racism and which side are you on and the fact that anybody in culture can create culture wars about stuff that I didn't even know there was a side to pick, but they find a side to pick and it, apparently, you know, you should have a side. And it's just all of the division, all the craziness, all the culture wars, all the what side are you on. And to be honest with you, nationally and globally, I don't think the church has helped. In fact, I think the church has fed into a ton of that, of us versus them, and what side are you on? And I'll just tell you this to be like super transparent. I drive, not meaning to, drive people crazy because of our you know, online audience and a lot of people via radio and then just people who listen in. I'll regularly get DMs where somebody's like in their frustrated voice with like um, exclamation points. I can't figure out which side you're on. And they're super, super annoyed by it. And what they mean is, I don't, politically, socially, I'm not really sure where you're at. One time I think you're over here, then another time I think, like, where in the world do you stand? And generally, I never answer any of the specific questions. I just message back, thank you, with my own exclamation point. Because not, and you may interpret it as, well, you don't take a stand on anything. Well, that's not really the point. But I am well aware of the fact that I lead a part of the Jesus movement. I'm a part of the church, and as a seminary professor of mine used to say, I don't know if you know this because Jesus has kind of been hijacked a lot of times in our culture, but Jesus did not come to take a side when he showed up on planet Earth. Jesus came to take over. Jesus came to introduce an upside-down, countercultural, like non-intuitive movement that was different than this world has ever seen. And I'll just say this as a side note, and, and I'll get to this. Like, you should have opinions. You should fight for stuff. You should, you, that's all great. But when it comes to you as a follower of Jesus, one of the things you need to understand, if you think Jesus fits neatly into any world system, any platform, any political party, I say this in love, you have hijacked Jesus and you have created a Jesus in your own image because the Jesus that was countercultural 2,000 years ago is just as countercultural today and he is too countercultural to fit into any box that this world has to offer. He is altogether different and he introduced a subversive upside down kingdom that is not going to fit into any system of this world. And so the reality is, like in our culture, it is so easy to kind of live our lives and we are so known for what we are against that nobody knows what we're for. And you may not think that's a big deal, but I would just encourage you, take another run at the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just watch and study Jesus because it is a big deal in our culture that we are known for what we are for. In fact, I would just make the case that it is the thing that we should be known for more than anything else, that ultimately, all of your opinions, all of your worldviews, all of your politics, all of the stuff that kind of makes up who you are, that is trumped every single time by the fact that you're a follower of Jesus and you are for Jesus and you are for the people of your city and community and people should know that about you more than they know anything else about you. That should be our posture and culture. And here's the thing as followers of Jesus, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can just do whatever you want to do. You're not accountable to any of this. I say this all the time. You can kind of in your head just point fingers and call us hypocrites and that's fine. Like you didn't sign on to the Jesus thing. But if you're a Jesus follower, we have a responsibility. 
We've been called to something in culture. Sometimes we just need to remind ourselves, right? Sometimes we just kind of need to lift our heads up from all the stuff that tends to weigh us down from day to day and just recognize that we are a part of a different kind of movement and different kind of calling and it goes beyond background and it goes beyond worldview and it goes beyond your politics and it goes beyond your ability to figure out how to solve all the world's problems. And like, nobody's gonna deny the world has got a bunch of problems. There's a lot of dumpster fires constantly. And we all have an idea that this is how it should be solved. And you know what I would do? And here's, I think, how you could settle this. And those people, I just can't figure out why they're so dumb. Like, this is the, this is the answer to all our problems. Like, everybody has solutions to our problems. But we have a responsibility that, that is bigger than that. In fact, if I can just say this in love, like for all of us, I mean, some of you can't solve your own problems, <laughs> Right? I mean, you're like, well, I'm sure I know exactly what I do. You can't balance your own budget. Like, you're so sure you've got all the answers, all the questions. You can't control your own nine-year-old. And I'm not throwing shots. I can't control my nine-year-old sometimes either. But all of those things of like, you can't get over your own habit or you're 19 and you can't figure out your own life. And again, I'm not... I'm not taking shots. I was 19 and couldn't figure out what I was doing with my life. I get all of that, but we're so sure that we've got all the answers to all the problems and we can't even figure out our own problems sometimes. And here's the things that we easily gravitate toward that I just wanna talk about for a few minutes is that we can get to the place where we complain about everything and we do nothing. And we become cynical and we become jaded and we become you know, complainers, but not active complainers. We don't do anything. And I'm just telling you, as a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, we do not have that option. We have not been called to that in culture. And wherever God has placed you, wherever that is, you have been called not to solve all the problems of the world, but you have been called to be an influencer. You have been called to make a difference. You have been called to make an impact where you are, that wherever you find yourself, even if you don't wanna be there and you're hoping you can get somewhere else or get a new job, wherever a Jesus follower finds themselves, you should be making that environment better because you follow a resurrected savior and you can't solve all of the world's problems, but you have the spirit of God in you and wherever you are, that environment better be better because you are a follower of Jesus and that's the calling that God's placed on your life. <clears throat> I went so hard on that, I lost my breath. We don't have the option to sit back and, and complain about everything and do nothing. And part of the reason we do this is just because awareness, right? And not many people you know, remember this, but there was a day when the suffering and the chaos and the injustice and the poverty that you were aware of was basically your own, or it was the people that you knew, or it was the people that the people you knew knew. Like that was your entire window into what was going on around you, and now that's changed. Now you are aware of everything all the time all over the world. And psychological studies told us that your brain was not wired to be able to handle all that. Like you're not God, you can't solve all those, all those problems. And so your awareness of everything either debilitates you, leads you to depression. There's all kinds of side effects to that because you just weren't created to handle it. And of course, we know in our culture, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, there's, there's all the emotive metrics that fear and division and you know all of the stuff that goes with that. It just sells. Just the, you get a lot of money from that. And so what we end up doing with all that we're inundated with, we end up getting this place where we just kind of tune all of it out. Like, I can't handle it. I don't want to hear it. I'm, I'm, you know, disenchanted. I'm angry. I can't believe. And so we just tune it all out. But here's the problem. I am not moved to do anything about suffering that I'm not aware of. 
I'm not moved to get involved in suffering, that I'm not at some level acquainted with. It doesn't move me in some way. In fact, several weeks ago, we looked at Jesus' most famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount. And one of the countercultural things he said was, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And his point, application was, blessed are the people who are emotionally connected to what's going on around them. And not that they can take it all in, but they also shouldn't push it all out because you're a follower of Jesus if you are, and you have been called to do something in culture. So you can't take it all in, but you can't also push it all out to not be aware. And what I know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can just look at Jesus throughout the gospels, is that we have been called to do something. We have been called to do something in our culture and we have been called to be known for what we're for and that should trump everything else. And if you understand what it means to follow Jesus, here's what we're for. We are for every single individual that you're eyeball to eyeball with because everybody matters to God whether God matters to them or not. And so Jesus says, I want you to follow me and I want you to recognize that as easy as it is, You don't get the option. Somebody should have told you when you decided to follow Jesus to complain about everything and to do nothing. You have been called into something. And so Jesus actually responds throughout the gospels to prescribe to us and model for us what we're to do. Now, here's a really interesting thing, just real quick. As you, you look at Jesus throughout the gospels, you see this kind of theme emerge, which is really interesting, where Jesus over and over again was so moved by the difficulty and the suffering of people around him. In fact, one of the things I love is like, you know, for example, Mark 10, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's a busy guy. He's about to go save the world. If anybody had the excuse like, hey, don't bother me. I gotta go save the world. It's Jesus. And Jesus is going through Mark 10 and his disciples are, you know, blind Bartimaeus comes to him. Um, and he's like, hey, Jesus, Jesus, I, you know, I, I need your attention. I need you to do something for me. And his disciples are like, he doesn't have time for you, all right? Like, he, he needs to practice good time management. We gotta get to Jerusalem. Dude's gotta save the world. We can't fool with, like, you know, individuals interrupting him on the way there. And yet Jesus, counterculture, is like, no, 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 guys, shut up. I, I, I'm, I'm gonna spend time with this one guy and be aware of this one need and enter into his suffering, and he heals the guy. Or he's in the midst of a chaotic crowd and they're all again thinking Jesus doesn't have time and he stopped for one woman who had a disease that she had struggled with her entire life and Jesus powerfully enters into her story and he does something about it. He heals the leper and causes them to walk again. But what's interesting is Jesus constantly met the needs of people who were right in front of him while simultaneously never fully um, solving all of society's and all of culture's problems. In fact, it's one of the things, and you can, this is a whole nother series, but Jesus would never even get drawn into the political debates of Roman occupation in the Jewish people. He just wouldn't do it. And he exasperated everybody around him. And he would constantly though be moved with compassion for those who are right in front of him, who were suffering, who were in need, who needed help. And he would move on their behalf. But here's what Jesus did do. He constantly addressed the root problem behind the human condition. In fact, one day he's given this message and Matthew records it, he was there. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. For out of the, what? Heart come evil thoughts. Meaning all of the dysfunction of the world, all the problems of the world, all the chaos of the world, like we don't think it does, but it originates from the human heart. And out of the heart, Solomon said it this way, that out of the heart flows all of the issues of life in Proverbs. 
Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, which starts with anger. And most of us don't ever get to murder. We, just, we think about it, but it doesn't get there. But it all originates with anger and it's in your heart. Adultery. And adultery is the thing that leads a lot of times to all of the implications of a, a home with no mom or no dad or lies that destroyed a relationship or sexual immorality and all of the layers of that, that either sexual addiction or abuse or the scars that people carry because of sexual immorality, again, kills relationships because sin just always kills stuff. Or theft. I mean, some of you feel like there was that one season somebody stole your idea. They, they stole like that position from you. Others of you, because your family of origin, in some ways you feel like somebody stole the childhood from you. And that all originated in somebody's heart and out of the heart, we act and that act created chaos and dysfunction all around us. And then he says this, false testimony, slander, or you could honestly just insert social media in those last two, like X, formerly known as Twitter. Um, bottom line is Jesus knew all of the world's problems, but he understood that they stem more than anything else from sinful self-centered, appetite-driven, I want my way, I want my thing, it's about me, hearts. And no political platform and no problem solving is ever going to fully satisfy and solve that this side of heaven, ever. And so Jesus over and over again talked about the fact that that is the root problem that cannot be fully solved. In fact, here's what I put in my notes. There are no perfect solutions to problems that involve people because people are involved in both the problems and the solutions, right? You guys are really quiet, so I'll, like, I'll just keep going, but sometimes the, the quieter you are, the harder I'll go. So like, like, but that's just the reality. And what Jesus is not advocating is you shouldn't have a voice, you shouldn't work for change, the, the opposite. But what he is doing is prioritizing what it means to follow Jesus in culture, that you should work for a solution, but don't ever leverage your hope to the kingdoms of this world thinking that that somehow is gonna solve the problems of this world, because it's not. And we're constantly trying to pull the levers of the kingdoms and the mechanisms of this world thinking that's where our hope is, that's where change is gonna happen, that's how things are gonna be better, that's how I'm gonna build the utopia that I think the world should be, and it's futile because ultimately the condition behind everything is the human heart. And there is no system, platform, or worldview that is going to solve that. And can I just tell you how you know whether you've shifted from your hope in the kingdom that Jesus is ushering in to the kingdoms of this world? Generally, it's always accompanied with a disproportionate amount of anger. If you find yourself angry at everything, angry at people, angry at groups, giving in to the division, inactive or you know, non-participation, then in most cases, it is a litmus test that you have begun to put your hope in the mechanisms and the levers of this world. And come on, you should, as a follower of Jesus, care about injustice, care about making a difference, care about being involved in the world around you, but it should never lead to anger toward other people in division. And if it has, you have lost sight of what Jesus said your primary role is because as Paul said in Ephesians, this ain't our home. 
There is something better and we should work to create change. But Jesus makes it really clear how we should do that. The primary way we should do that is through the human heart. In fact, Romans 13 talks about this. You know what the role of government is? To tell you how low you can go. Like, here's the standard. This is how low you can go without being incarcerated for the rest of your life. Have at it. But come on, that's all that it can do in this world. And Romans 13 actually talks about that. But the government and law and the mechanisms or platforms of this world, they will never inspire you to the greatness Jesus has called you to. They will never lead you to be generous beyond the minimum standard. They will never lead you to reconcile relationships where other people are saying you should have left a long time ago. They will never lead you to lay down your life for somebody else that looks nothing like you, believes nothing like you, doesn't share any of the same interests. It is only Jesus that can transform the human heart to go, it's not about getting mine, it's about laying down my life for the sake of other people around you. Nobody does that but Jesus. Nobody can create that change but Jesus. Nobody can transform a human heart like that other than Jesus. And so, Throughout the gospels, he invites us into this countercultural, upside down kingdom that I just cannot stress enough where he says, here's what it looks like to follow me and we're still trying to catch up with this 2000 years later. Following me is a race to the back of the line. Following me is you second, everybody else first. We're like, well, I don't know. I'm just telling you, that's what Jesus said. Following Jesus is never feeling guilty about what you have, just responsible and leveraging what you have been given for the sake, not of you, but for the sake of other people. Jesus said, that's what I'm inviting you into because this is a different kind of kingdom and it is subversive. It's bottom up, it's not top down because I'm a king who came to lay down his life for his subjects. And that's what I'm inviting you into. In fact, all throughout the gospels, Jesus would say it this way. I am inviting you into a counter-cultural way of living. In the first century, it was just simply known as the way. Christian came later. It was actually a derogatory term by outsiders, but it was just known as this is the way. Or if you're fans of the Mandalorian, this is the way. I'm glad somebody got that because nobody got that at the 9 a.m. Or that, you know, what's that little, that little old guy in The Mandalorian that just says, um, he died at one point, I forget which episode, but he's like, um, I have spoken. I just started using that with my kids. I'm like, from now on, I'm that guy. I have spoken. <laughs> so anyway, you have to watch it. But I just got way off track there. Jesus is inviting us in his count. Hey, this is the way. So Jesus, how should I respond to people? How should I respond to culture? How does God view people? How does God view chaos? How does God view injustice? How does God view the suffering of this world? How should we engage what's happening around us in every generation, every culture? And Jesus said, watch me, look at me, follow me. Because Jesus made this claim about himself, I am the way and I'm inviting you into a different kind of way and it's all centered around a counter-cultural singular command that changes everything. Jesus in the upper room the night before he was gonna be crucified. I want you to love other people the way that I've loved you. This is the way. This is what I'm inviting you into. And this is different than any other kingdom of this world. And I'm just telling you, I don't know if you're gonna go with me because there is so many layers to this in culture that we can hear this and then somehow filter it through our earthly kingdoms and the mechanisms of this world. But if we could just remove that for a second, this is the bridge between differences, backgrounds, politics, how problems are addressed. Can I just tell you, and this isn't a shot, this is just a reality. 
So many churches in our culture right now just create little movements around homogeneous groups of people that all look the same way, vote the same way, view everything the same way. And it is such the antithesis of what God launched in the first century because this should be a movement. And many of you underestimate how diverse this movement is growing. There are people from all economic sides that are a part of our church, all different religious backgrounds, atheists, agnostics, church kids like me, all different backgrounds, vote differently, nobody in our church would agree about how to address the problems of this world. (laughs) Nobody. And you know what? That's amazing. It's actually what God dreamed for the local church. Multicultural, multi-generational, socioeconomically diverse. Everybody come in. Is it messy? Of course it is. Is there conflict? Of course it is. That's the body of Christ. And if we have the idea that because you're a Jesus follower, well, this is how Jesus just lines up with everything. It's because you have hijacked the message of Jesus. You have tried to sand off the rough edges and create him in your image and Jesus will not stand for it. And so at the heart of the church is diversity. It's all over the place. We would never even agree on how to handle all of the problems. But what we understand when we come around Jesus, New Testament command and this idea that we're to love others the way Christ has loved us, all of a sudden we recognize that, listen, our differences may be there. I may not even understand you. We grew up different. I don't understand your worldview. But suddenly I moved to the place to do what Paul Paul talks about in Galatians. That all may be true, but how can I carry your burdens? How can I come alongside you? How can I lift a weight for you? How within the body of Christ can I come alongside to narrow the gap? Because the whole thing comes down to loving you the way that God has loved me. And that's a really high standard. I love that the last thing that Jesus did to demonstrate he was for people. The last thing that Jesus did for people hours before he was gonna be betrayed and crucified was wash his disciples' feet. And I don't know if you know of any of the context, I'm gonna go quickly, but they're in an upper room, they rented. Jesus had laid low for about a week. He knew what was going on in the city. The New Testament writers say that he had set his face toward Jerusalem, which means he wasn't flinching. He knew exactly what he came to do. And it wasn't to usher in a political kingdom, which is what everybody else thought. It was to usher in a brand new kingdom to the world. And he's in that upper room that night and all the disciples are around and they're, they're probably like taking shots at each other because they forgot to hire somebody to wash the feet. Because in that culture, you always hired a slave to wash the feet. And so somebody missed out, they didn't do it. And so Peter and Bartholomew are, are arguing. I don't know, I can never say Bartholomew's name. There it is. They're all at the table. And no, but the thing is, they didn't hire anybody to wash the feet, but they're not gonna do it. Peter's like, I'm not doing this. Simon, the political zealots at the table, like, I'm not washing his feet. And so they're all there ticked off at each other because they're embarrassed. Jesus is there. It's a big Passover meal. Nobody got the foot washer to show up. What are we gonna do? And just by the way, cultural context, you just would not wash people's feet. You didn't do that. It was all about a class system. And Jesus decides he's gonna wash their feet and Peter starts arguing with him and Jesus shuts it down and goes, no, no, Peter, this is gonna happen, so sit down. And all of the pictures we have of that night generally are wrong. They weren't at a farmhouse table. (laughs) They were sitting on the ground and they were leaning against the chest, most likely of the person. So they would have, you know, if they're eating right-handed and they would be leaning over and they're sitting at this kind of little table on the ground and their feet were propped up behind them to be able to sit and to be able to eat and everybody's on the floor. And Jesus gets up 
and he has to walk behind them. So nobody can make eye contact with Jesus. They can just make eye contact with one another. And they're humiliated because they didn't bring anybody in to do this. And now Jesus, the rabbi, is up out of his seat and he's behind us and we can't see him, which makes it really unnerving. And he begins one by one to wash the disciples' feet. And they can't see him. They're just looking at one another. And it takes a while to wash 12 people's feet. And Jesus takes off his robe, maybe you know this, which was really symbolic. Jesus never did anything by accident. He had planned that night. He had planned the fact that nobody was gonna show up. He had planned the fact that he was gonna be the one. He takes off his robe, which was a sign in that culture of rabbinical authority so that they would know in this moment, I am laying down everything that I deserve, everything that is due me. And I am taking on the form of a servant and he ties the robe around his waist and he begins to kneel down and wash the disciples' feet one by one and there's silence in the room. And nobody can make eye contact with Jesus. And Jesus, the son of God, the savior of the world, which by the way, they had seen what these hands have done. They had watched these hands motion to nature and nature obeyed those hands. They had watched those hands take mud and put them on a blind person and suddenly with those hands that blind person could see. They had watched those hands motion for the dead to rise again. They know what those hands can do. And there they are washing the feet of these disciples who within hours would betray or deny Jesus, every single one of them. Have you ever thought about this? That Jesus is kneeling down behind them, washing the feet of Judas the very night that Judas is gonna betray him in the most epic way. And Jesus was making a very specific point that they would never forget. This is what it looks like. And here's a really interesting point that I think generally we miss is why I wanted to tell that story. He washed their feet even though he knew they were gonna get dirty again. That he didn't solve their problems permanently. It didn't, in fact, within hours, they're gonna get dirty again. And again, the shock value is so extreme. This is only something that a slave would do. And generally, like people will humble themselves when they're humiliated. Jesus is the first in history that he humiliated and humbled himself on his own accord and says, this is what it means to follow me. In Greek and Roman culture, nobody great would ever wash anybody's feet. The savior of the world, the king of kings, set for them an example that they would never, ever forget, knowing that it would be temporary, that their feet would get dirty again, and he gets up from behind them after what must have felt like an hour. And he walks around, he takes his seat, and he says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, and I am, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet, even though they'll get dirty again. I have set for you an example. 2,000 years later, he'd say, I've set for you an example. I've set for you an example. I've set for you an example that you should do as I have what? 
as I have done for you. And Jesus would say, that's our marching orders. That's just another application of how you love other people the way that I have loved you. That is the posture for a life that is committed to following Jesus. And that is what the church should look like because the church is the body of Christ. But here's what Jesus knew in this moment. Here's what Jesus knew kind of hung in the balance for us in that moment. That washing their feet did not solve their problem. Washing their feet addressed their current need. And one day, this is a whole nother message series, Jesus is gonna permanently solve every problem. And that's a whole theological thing that I don't have time to, to deal with. And maybe it's the angst in you of why you've struggled to follow Jesus. But all I can tell you from the lips of a resurrected savior, there's gonna be a day when he undoes every bit of injustice. And there will be a day that he tramples every bit of evil. And there is a day, gonna be a day where he writes every single wrong and he will triumph and reign forever undisputed as the king of kings and the Lord of lords of all creation. That day is coming. But in this moment, he addresses their current problem without, or without solving pro their full problem because Jesus understood what hung in the balance and that was that commanding them to wash one another's feet ensured their differences would not divide them. Because Jesus is about to launch a movement within hours and this was gonna be the primary ethic of that movement. And I just, I'll, I'll bring this home here in just a second. But here, here's the big deal for us. You cannot wash feet at a distance. You cannot wash feet at a distance. And isn't it true for us, just go with me for a second, even if you disagree with me. Isn't it true that the more you have distanced yourself from a person or from people or from a whole group, the more you have kind of simplified all of the solutions to those problems or their problems. Like you're, there's a distance and they're out there and that group is out there and those people are out there. And well, I know what I would do and I know how they could solve this problem. And I know, like, this is an easy fix. And if they would just, and if he would just, and if she would just, the further you are away, the simpler the solution becomes, the more less empathy and sympathy you have, but isn't the other side true? The more you get really, really close to chaos, somebody else's chaos, the more you get acquainted with a group or a person that is on the other side that you, you've never related to, you don't know any of their background, the more you get involved in the background story and in the context and in the mess and in the chaos, all of a sudden something happens where things are not quite as simple any longer. Suddenly you have a lot more empathy and you have a lot more sympathy and generally at some point along the way, you get close enough to go, oh, I didn't know that. I assumed you always. I, I believed you always. I just thought, I just assumed, I just believed. And it may not change anything you believe, but suddenly it's not as simple any longer. Suddenly it's a little more complex. Suddenly you understand other people specifically within the body of Christ that you didn't understand before. And you start to realize that there is maybe not as much distance as I thought. And so I still am not sure. We come from different places. We don't see the world the same way. We all disagree about how to solve the problems. How can I carry your burden? 
How can I carry your weight? How can I come alongside of you? How can I be there as a brother or a sister in Christ that's following Jesus together? And I have been commanded to wash other people's feet because it is true. The closer you get to a person or a problem, the closer you will get to understanding somebody else's current reality. And I don't know if anybody's going with me or not, but that is a massive deal because what you will find in that moment is suddenly you will start to grow less cynical and you will start to grow less critical and you will be a little less intelligent because you had it all figured out. You knew the solutions to the problems. You knew how to fix everything and suddenly it's a little more complicated than you realized. And so Jesus said, knowing all of this, that you're a part of the body of Christ and there's gonna be a lot of stuff you disagree on and there's, there's gonna be, you have strong opinions and ideas about how to solve the world's problem. But Jesus would just say, just heads up, you should work towards that. They're not getting solved until King Jesus comes back. But I have called you to make a difference. I've called you to inspire. I've called you to be an influencer. I have called you to make culture better. And the primary way you're gonna do that is by following me and washing each other's feet because you cannot wash feet at a distance. And then within days, Jesus would launch a brand new movement called the church. And I know some of you, your experience with the church has been terrible. Maybe it's why you're you know, watching or listening via radio or online right now, but I'm telling you, when this is at the epicenter of the church, the church becomes powerful, it becomes beautiful. And Jesus launched this brand new movement and said to a group of followers with no influence and no platform and no standing and none of the things that we think we need to make a difference in the world. And he said, I want you to go change the world and I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell are not gonna prevail against it. And that group of people began to take these seemingly weak ideas of like, how are we gonna change culture with us second and everybody else first. How are we gonna change culture with love your enemies, pray for those who persecute? That is so weak. And they took that idea, and we know this from history, that eventually Romans and Greeks began to embrace that message. Eventually the message of Jesus was everywhere. These weak ideas that how in the world would these change culture? There's such a lack of authority to any of it. And yet they single-handedly study history, began to change the view of value of marginalized people in the first century because of Jesus' message. They single-handedly began to give dignity to women and children that did not have dignity in the first century. They single-handedly began to tear down racial dividing walls between Samaritans and Jews and Greeks that were so strong and it's undisputed. They began to change Western civilization and by 300 AD, maybe you know the story, they basically toppled the Roman Empire and nobody worshiped Jupiter anymore. And the very empire that killed and crucified Jesus, this new movement ushered in the change of hearts of multitudes of people and the very empire that crucified Jesus ended up embracing Jesus as Lord and Savior. It is not weak. It is the way of Jesus. So as we end, I just wanna end with the really practical part because we get a chance to practice we, we get a chance to move the shift, which what many of you grew up with, which is what you believe to not just what you believe, but what you do with what you believe. 
and being a countercultural movement in our city to do for others what God has done for you. So we have been called as followers of Jesus. And again, you're not a follower of Jesus. You don't have to do anything. But if you're a follower of Jesus, we have been called to do what we can, to do what we can now and to do what we can together. That is the movement of Jesus. You have a quiet time. Some of you don't even know what that means. You didn't grow up in the church. That's great. You pray every day. Amazing. Like you serve. I'm all for it. Want everybody to do that. You check the boxes. You know the theology. You can find all the books to the Bible. You even know how many books are in the Bible. Amazing. We're all golf clapping you. If you end there and it never leads to what you do, Paul would say it's worthless. We've been called to do something and we've been called to let our city know we are for them. And it's one thing to talk about, it's another thing to do it. And so every year we come around this idea for the city to give, serve, and love our community. And many of you know, every month, in fact, we do Fourth Sunday for the city, we give money away, we bring in um, items. That's, that's an amazing thing throughout the year. But this is our chance over a three week period to push the flywheel forward and make a massive impact. And so we do it through these three ways, give, serve, love, to just take seriously what Jesus commanded us to do. So real quick, and we're gonna talk about it for three weeks, different aspects, but today is kind of the giving focus and then serve and then love. But what we did from the beginning for our church was we decided we were not gonna compete with organizations in the city, we were gonna partner with them. So we were gonna find the organizations doing the best work around things like food insecurity, homelessness, medical care, foster care, which is a new initiative, women's crisis, education, and we were gonna help them. We were gonna give money away. We were gonna be a part of actually being involved in meeting the physical needs of our community and for us in the name of Jesus. And so every year we come along around this time and we go to these partner organizations that we vetted, that we work with, that are doing incredible work. And we go, what would make a big difference for you? We want to help you. And so we did that again this year. And here's what they came back with us um, about. In, in fact, in front of you, in just a second, you've got this card that you can pick up that's by you or you're sitting on it. Here's what they told us would make a big deal. We need help licensing a new, fo new foster homes for Door of Hope. That is a brand new partner. It's about $4,200. We're gonna help fund several of those foster placements. There's about 14,000 right now in Florida. Six to eight kids in the Tampa Bay area are replaced because of abuse every day. Every, every single day. Um, most of it, there's neglect, there's abandonment, high risk for trafficking in our area. They are doing incredible work. They held 427 placements last year. So we've come to them to go, we're gonna fund as many of these as we can for you. We're gonna create assistance and care for women in crisis through Hope For Her. We're gonna fund meals for families, programs for meaningful employment, homeless prevention, and advocacy care through uh, ECHO, and they do all of the above. We're gonna assist and funding stable housing for family through Family Promise. Um, we're gonna fundraise global missionary partners, several of them and specific needs they have, and we work with them throughout the year. We're gonna fund several new church plants, or at least contribute toward that with the Irresistible Church Network. That's a network we're a part of throughout the United States and globally that's planting churches similar to ours. And then, if you guys get crazy generous, we've got projects ready to go around additional things like underfunded schools, job training, emergency care for the homeless. And here's what I can't overestimate. This is something that Jesus Jesus cares for. You cannot separate spirituality, singing songs, reading a Bible, and not doing justice for the people in your community that need care in the name of Jesus. So this is what we've been called to as a church. So we're going to give, serve, and love. Our goal is not an amount goal. Here's what I say every year, because I know that if you do this, it'll change your life. 
Uh, we are hoping for 100% participation and then giving, giving 100% of it away. 100% participation and then, I can't stress this enough, we give every dollar of it away. And just to give you an idea, like we have on a, a monthly ba- basis active individuals who are connected to Centerpoint who are involved in different environments, about 2,600 plus people. If everybody who is a part of Centerpoint, actively a part of Centerpoint, if we just gave $50 we'd raise well over $100,000 to just every dollar of it given away into the community. And so what you do, it may seem small, but collectively, it makes a massive, massive difference. Now, for some of you, like that's two Amazon packages in one day. You're barely gonna miss it. $50, everybody does it. It makes a massive impact. Now, for some of you, I just wanna speak in your language really quick because you wanna bargain. If you just gave $49.95, that would make a really massive impact, all right? So it's a deal, $49.95, and you can, you can move the decimal either way. It doesn't matter. But listen, if you're like, well, I'm not giving to the church, all the church, that's fine. If I had seen what you had seen, experienced what you experienced, I probably wouldn't either. We give 100% of it away. No shipping and handling. All the staff handles that. We give all of the money away. And here's what I know about some of you. You're not even sure what you believe about the Jesus thing. And yet you got this thing inside of you where you want to make a difference in your community. And I think that actually is rooted in what Jesus introduced in the world that you don't attribute to Jesus, but that's fine. We wanna make a difference. And so this is everybody, everybody's invited. And I just wanna say this real quick. If you're a part of being a plan percentage priority giver, like my family and many others, about 20% of people who attend give regularly. All of what happens here, people being baptized through the waters of baptism, kids' lives being changed. Our CC students is growing like crazy right now. Kids trusting Christ. You fuel all of that life change. Like me and many others who give over 10% of our income away off the top, and you know who you are. You help make all of that happen. And many churches are really kind of you afraid to do this, we're able to do this because that 20% is funding and fueling ministry and life change so we can go, hey, let's give and let's give all of the money away. And I just wanna say thank you to you for what you're doing every week and what you're gonna do in our community. So you can give right now or anytime between now and September 24th. We got three weeks and then we're gonna give all of the money away and make a massive difference in our community. Over the last couple of years, and I'm most proud of this, our church has given over $200,000 away into the community and have funded organizations and according to the greater Brandon Chamber become one of the most generous non-for-profits in this area. And that's because of you embracing this idea that we're gonna be known for what we're for, not what we're against. And so let's give, let's serve Our serve opportunity this year is through Feeding Tampa Bay. You can go just onto the QR code, sign up. We love to do this as a family. Um, There's different opportunities based on what the need is. So we wanted to do something that would really, hundreds of people could participate. Um, Gather a volunteer group, gather your community group. But some of you need to lead the way to help get people involved in this. And then thirdly, we just wanna love well. And in week three, I'm gonna talk about how to be salt and light in our current culture. So do not miss a week of this series. But until then, we just wanna get you thinking about this. So what we'd love for you to do is go into the city, whatever your favorite hangout spot is, coffee shop, um, shout out local hero, teacher, firefighter, um, something that you love about your community, our city, and just hashtag it, Centerpoint for the City, because we, 
and that may not seem like a big deal to you. We're gonna tag those businesses. We just wanna be over the top to go. We are a church that's for the city. And we believe, if you haven't been here for a long time, God has strategically placed us here to rock this city and change a whole region over the next decade with the gospel of Christ through this movement known as Centerpoint. And we pray that and believe that without blinking an eye. God has called us to something special here. And there are a lot of great churches and a lot of great people, but there is a deficit in terms of there being enough churches in the city and area in a culture of so much division that just goes, we are for Jesus and we are for people and we wanna shout it to our community and city. So let's give, let's serve, let's love. And I'm just gonna end with this. I know that many of us grew up with check the boxes, good with God, we could go our way, ignore all of the needs around us and think like we're doing okay. Jesus didn't give us that option. Devotion to God is best demonstrated and authenticated by your love for other people, which begs the question that is uncomfortable for me. How devoted am I to Jesus? How devoted are you actually? Not what you talk about, what you do. How devoted are you to God? And the most extravagant like example of response to Jesus' extravagant love to us is no strings attached generosity to do good for those who can't and won't do anything good in return for us because everybody matters to God on every side, every worldview, whether God matters to them or not. So let's be known for being for the city and specifically for being known for people who are made in the image of the God of the universe and he loves them and he cares for them and in the name of Jesus we're going to love and care for them as well would you guys pray with me all over the house Jesus I just pray in this moment you would unleash your power and I get that anytime your word is spoken that there can be layers of resistance and I mean I understand that personally as well as anybody but I also know that when there is a move of the Spirit of God, you will circumvent every single one of those walls, barriers, and layers, and you will penetrate to the heart to reveal to us by your grace, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would ignite, you would move through this gathering, that for some of us, for the first time in our life, we would stop settling for a stale, bored relationship with Jesus that has been completely boiled down to what we believe and what boxes we check. And we would assume the baton of being world changers in our city and community. And that we would demonstrate our love for God specifically by loving and caring for the people that maybe are nothing like us. So do your thing, and we pray this all in the incredible name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.